So, yes. Um, hello, everybody. It's a delight to think about the Ascension today. Um, most of you know we've been looking for the past six weeks, hence this is week six, um, on some of those different uh, re- resurrection, post-resurrection even, appearances of Jesus to his followers. Um, and so um, we've had uh, weeks where we've looked at Mary, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, uh, the wider group of disciples, especially Thomas and then Peter, um, and then there's been, there was uh, biblical references to 500 other people that Jesus met one day. And um, today, we're focused on that very end of this point of Jesus' um, time on earth. So um, we're at that point after the... Um, after the ministry of Jesus, after the death and re- resurrection of Jesus, he's had 40 days on earth, and then this is the ascension. And um, we've had two accounts today of the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And the um, specific um, quotes are this, um, they'll come up on the screen. Um, uh, Luke 24 has it that while Jesus was blessing them, he was taken up into heaven. And uh, Acts 1.9 has it that he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. There we are. Um, seemingly nothing remarkable, except everything about Jesus is remarkable. So um, we need to sort of think about that and unpack that and um, discover what's going on. If you want some kind of pictorial understanding, um, this is what you get at Walsingham, which is uh, not a place I frequent, must admit. Um, but apparently there is an Ascension Chapel where in the ceiling, that's what you get to see. The feet of Jesus uh, as he disappears uh, into the um, uh, behind the clouds and into the sky, as it were, and um, we just need to think a little bit about what on earth is going on here. Now, the, both the accounts that we have from are, although they're in different books, and we talk about Luke and we talk about Acts, they're actually both written by the same man, by Luke, um, doctor who wrote both the Gospel. That is the biography of Jesus, which bears his name, uh, and the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Both were written for a man called Theophilus, um, um, probably a real person, but might not have been that, might have been his real name. Um, Literally, Theophilus means God lover, lover of God. Um, And by extension, then, both books I think are helpful for us, us who do or might want to love God in offering guidance and information for us. So, ascension. Is it important of itself, or is it simply a necessary precursor to what we remember next weekend, which is Pentecost and the outpouring of God's Spirit on all people? Another way to ask this would be to say to you, what would you identify as the most important part of the life of Jesus. Perhaps you would focus on his conception, his birth, his teaching and healing ministry. Perhaps you'd focus on uh, his crucifixion. Uh, even you might uh, have a little theology around the harrowing of hell, um, his resurrection, the appearances which confirm the resurrection, his ascension, the outpouring of God's Spirit on all, all his people. What's the most important part of Jesus' life? It's really hard, actually, to separate them out. Because, of course, you can't have a birth without a conception. You can't have a healing ministry without a birth. They all build on each other. But what 
what's really the most important? For the gospel writers, for many of them, it's that focus around crucifixion and resurrection. And I'm intrigued that Luke puts the ascension as the turning point between his two books. He even acknowledges that. So at the beginning of the passage that we had uh, today, in my former book, says Theophilus, uh, he says to, writes to Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So that was him referencing what he did in Luke's Gospel. And then he goes on to describe that same ascension in the next few verses that we then heard this morning. So, I wonder, is ascension a bit like the crowning of the champions, like, you know, Leicester City's triumphal procession? Or is something even bigger going on here? Is this the victory parade of something that passed that has happened? Or what? Ascension is hugely significant. A hugely significant event within the New Testament. It shows Jesus going back to heaven after his redemptive work on earth was done. Yes, you might say it's his coronation, where he's crowned King of Kings, Lord of Lords, ruler of all. It's a huge celebration and victory parade. Now, um, we can get a hint of the importance of the ascension by looking at some of the other Bible references that reference back to the ascension. So, for example, um, Acts chapter 2, it's a passage we're likely to look at next week, um, which is that first speech of Peter um, to the assembled crowds when Pentecost had happened. So God poured out his spirit on all of his followers, and a massive crowd gathered and said, hey, what's going on? We hear these regional guys, these Galileans, speaking out the wonders of God in our own local languages. And Peter went, hey, this is what's going on. And this is, this is the climax of his speech. Um, let me read it for you. God has exalted, uh, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God. That's the ascension bit, that's why I put it in bold. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you now see and hear. For David, that's King David, great greatest king over Israel, did not ascend to heaven. And yet he said this, and that's, this is a quote from Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. It's interesting that we interchange those words, Lord and Messiah, don't we? But Messiah is about saviour, the one who came to save us, but Lord is some, reflects something of that exalted place that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, um, and we'll come back to that later on. But that sense that, that actually it's a reminder that Jesus was not just a human, but he was also fully God, part of that, what we understand to be the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that actually then, so Jesus took on human form, he laid aside his majesty, and then, having gone through birth and life and, and death and resurrection, and then spent enough time on earth to show that he really had been raised, he then returned to where he had always been, as part of um, uh, the Godhead. 
and that very quickly gets us towards um, however we want to talk about it. It's really hard to talk about it without um, getting ourselves into metaphor and... Um, anyway, let's not go down there. Um, so that's, that's Acts. That's the climax of, of Peter's speech on that first um, sort of first missional speech, as it were. Um, and interestingly, even something like Philippians 2, which is often taken to be a hymn that was pre-existing, it was a very early understanding of faith, um, actually skips the resurrection. So look at this. Um, this is to Philippians 2, 8 and 9. Um, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, be obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place back into heaven and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Now, one of the pieces of Old Testament background, so we all, so far we've quoted New Testament, um, has to be um, Daniel 7. Um, now, Daniel was uh, one of those prophets of old who um, every now and again had a bit of a dream, and um, this is part of one of his dreams about the future. And um, the, the, the trouble of dreams is that they don't always make sense, and we can always argue about what does this mean, how does this apply to that. So this is Daniel 7. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, that's God the Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, that view of coming with the clouds of heaven, you could argue to be the view from above that the disciples saw from below. For the disciples, Jesus disappeared in a cloud. For the assembled cloud of witnesses in heaven, Jesus appeared on a cloud, entering his Father's presence. And if you remember that Jesus, whilst on earth, um, talked about, um, uh, he, he, he self-referred, if you like, he referred to himself as the Son of Man quite a lot, there's very much, to my mind, uh, certainly in Jesus's, most likely in Jesus' head, that this was part of the precursor, part of what was going on here, that, that perhaps the prophecy of Daniel, not perhaps, but the prophecy of Daniel is fulfilled in what happened to Jesus in the ascension, in going back to heaven. So the passage then helps us to see what Jesus is doing now. He has been, in these terms, given authority. He has glory and sovereign power. And all nations and peoples of every language worship him, do worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that does not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And actually, if we go back to those passages that we've looked at just now, that echo, that's echoed... That same sort of sentiment of Jesus having all that glory and power, we get in the other passages. So, back to Philippians 2. Notice, therefore, God is up to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. So, there's that sense of bowing in worship in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. 
So because Jesus has returned to the Father, he has that authority and we are called to worship him. Go back again and um, you see um, the stuff from Psalm 110. Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Basically, all this I think is well and good and as fact and knowledge, but we need to apply this to our own lives. And I think there's three big things that we can say. First of all, because Jesus is risen, ascended and glorified, so we have now new access to the Father. And you could argue that that came um, on account of the crucifixion, um, and it is part of that whole package. But um, it's clearly possible because Jesus has returned to the Father. So something dramatically changed as a result of Easter that was completed at the Ascension. Um, we see echoes of this in, for example, what Jesus said to, to Mary Magdalene on Easter Day, on that Easter Sunday morning, where he said, Go to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. That sense that Jesus, Jesus was returning to his Father. Before Easter, the main emphasis, I think, had been on God as the Father of Jesus. Now, as a result of his death and resurrection, Jesus is saying that his Father has become our Father. And his God has become our God. And that he's now, as it were, our older brother. Something fundamentally has changed. And that change is realised, I think, at the ascension. Similarly, I think, when we get a, uh, a full revelation of God as our loving Father, loving Heavenly Father, then everything changes. When we know God as our Father, when we really know it, then everything changes. Not just based on feelings or one person's experience. It's available to everyone who has accepted Christ. And the ascension actually guarantees us new access to the Father. Okay, well, you might tell me, but how? So, three points under this then. First of all, Jesus removed the barrier between us and God. Um, uh, Hebrews, which is another New Testament letter, um, uh, runs like this, Hebrews 1.3. After he had provided purification for sins, he, that is Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty in, uh, in heaven. So, it's recorded that he, Jesus paid the price for sins, and then he sat down. Now, I know for us, in our modern computer age world... When we sit down, we usually sit down to work. But in a manual world, you sit down to rest. And the sitting down is a symbolism that Jesus' work was finished. His redemption of the world, that creating a new way for us to relate to God the Father, that work was finished and completed and so he was able to return and sit at the right hand of the Father go 
Let me just push on that a bit more. Let's remember that, as it were, part of the purpose of Jesus coming to earth wasn't just to teach us more about God, wasn't just to demonstrate what God's kingdom would be like by bringing bringing samples, as it were, of the kingdom of God. So in terms of healings and um, healings of all sorts. But actually Jesus came so that he might die on a cross and thereby take on him the sins, the consequences of all of our rebellion against God. And what we're getting is that is that, that that work has happened. All we are called to do as individuals is to say yes, please, to God's offer of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of adoption into God's family. Jesus' bit is finished. And now he holds out that gift of life without end with us. Then all we have to do is say yes, please, I'd like some of that. So it's a finished and completed work. We don't deserve it. We can't do anything to earn it because it's already finished. But we can receive it. Secondly then, how, how does the ascension guarantee us new access to the Father? It, the, the new No, how, how does that happen? New access, again, Hebrews, um, one of those books that's worth reading. Um, Hebrews 7 has it like this. Therefore, he, that's Jesus, is able... Yes, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him, through Jesus, because he always lives to intercede for them. Interceding. It's not about planting your carrots next to your brothers. It's about prayer. It's about saying on behalf of somebody else, look, could you just be nice to them? Could you bless them? Could you? It literally means that Jesus is standing, as it were, in the gap for us. Every time we have a need, we can go to the Father, and not only do we have the right of access, but Jesus is also interceding on our behalf, guaranteeing that anything we need from the Father that's in his will is going to be given to us. All the grace that we need, all the mercy that we need, all the strength that we need. He's personally, Jesus is personally standing at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us. So if you like, we have a new bridge, a new way of access to come boldly before the throne of God. Um, again, Hebrews, it's, the summary of Hebrews is, runs like this, is Hebrews uh, 10 verse 19 onwards. Therefore, brethren, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain. Now that's a reference back to the, the curtain in the temple which was torn in two from top to bottom when Jesus died. And the temple used to hide the holy of holies as, in, as effectively where God lived from the rest of humanity. So a new and living way opened for us through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Now, to get this, we need to slightly have a think about what happened in, in the Old Testament, the old way of doing business with God. Uh, and remember that in that Old Testament times... That first covenant, 
part of the package was that when you did wrong, you went off to the temple and you said to a priest, I've got it wrong, I've come with my prescribed offering, whether that's a a grain offering or a pigeon or whatever it is, there was a whole set of lists as to what you brought for whatever sin you did. And the priest went off and, and offered that sacrifice to God on your behalf. And then you were okay until you sinned again. And the trouble is that because we're human, we keep sinning, don't we? We keep living as if God doesn't exist. We keep putting I at the center of life. But under this new way that Jesus brought, we have that sense of direct access to God. We have, we have a, a once-for-all-time forgiveness of, of our sins, of our rebellion against God, which means that we can be adopted into the family, which means that when we, even though we are adopted, even if we sin, God says, come on, let's help you, let's sort you out. Let's put you back on the bicycle, as it were. And that is just such a different way to the way it used to work. So, um, we need to keep moving. We have new access to the Father because of Jesus, because of the death of Jesus. Um, The second thing is to say that because Jesus is risen, ascended, glorified, so we have a new identity in the Son. And we've alluded to this before. Um, If I asked you, who are you? You'd probably tell me your name. You'd probably tell me maybe where you come from and what you do for a job or even where you go to school. Hello. Sorry, you're at school and you haven't got children's groups this morning, but um, they'll be on later on. Um, and actually, none of that's wrong. But I think one of the thing, most important things that, that God's people get is that because of the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, we're not just forgiven sinners with access to the Father, but we are saints. Now, you know, don't get me wrong here. Um, the, 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 the church in general has done a pretty bad job on saints because we've ele- elevated a few people and given them a title. Saint Peter, Saint Philip, Saint James. Um, but actually, the way the Bible has it, that all followers of Jesus are saints. We're all adopted into God's family. So instead of being sinners trying to be saints, we become saints who sometimes sin. There's a huge change there. We're adopted into God's family. God tells us that he puts his spirit in us as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I think that's pretty good. Guarantee from God, I can live with that, that I'm going to spend eternity with God in heaven. And so that sense of purpose, of hope, comes with that sense of knowing that we have our new identity because of Jesus. Um, If we have a a new identity, then certain things follow from that. Um, Beginning of Ephesians, which is a a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church uh, in Ephesus and in the region around, um, and he says this. Um, Paul starts by praying that not only might we get an understanding of this new identity, but also that our eyes would be opened to the great power that's available to us. Let me read to you. Um, this is um, 
Ephesians 1.19. I pray that the eyes of, my, of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance of his holy people, his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in and through us who are followers of Jesus. That, I think, my friends, is amazing. Paul goes on in that passage. Um, to, to show how we can act in the authority of Christ. So Jesus, uh, this is quoting from Ephesians again. Um, uh, God seated Jesus at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this age, but in the age to come. So there is no other authority that can rival Jesus Christ. There's no political leader, spiritual principality, no philosophy that can challenge the complete sovereignty and victory of Christ, ruling over all things. So our new identity means new power and new authority and a new position. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I just think that's a staggering notion that when, that somehow we rule alongside Jesus. And quite how that works when we're stuck on earth is, is a, a big discussion to be had, not this morning. Um, and it's hard to imagine, but spiritually we are somehow ruling over creation with Jesus. And so it affects the way we live our lives. We're called to set our minds on things above. We're called to set our minds on our hearts and our minds on things above, not earthly stuff. We've died to our old life. Our new life is hidden in Christ. And when God appears, then also we will appear with him in glory, we're told. It's Colossians 3, if you want that reference. So, third thing then. We have not just access, we have new identity, but we have a new intimacy. Now, it's worth clocking here that Jesus came to earth. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he only turned up in one situation at a time. There's no reports of Jesus being, as it were, in Jerusalem and in Galilee at the same time. He was in one place at one time. And part of the point about Jesus going back to heaven is that then, and this is what we remember much more next week, God sent his spirit on all people who follow Jesus, so that then we very much more clearly see that sense of God being with everybody in every situation. So we might want to say, I want to be back there with those guys on the Emmaus Road, or in this, you know, seeing Jesus go back to heaven. But actually... Jesus was limited in his presence and he was alone in his power. But in, in, in going back to heaven, so, and this is where we get to next week, then the Spirit is poured out on all people. So we're never alone because we have God's Spirit 
with us forever. With us, in us, encouraging us, challenging us, reminding us of the truth that we do know. And that, my friends, is great news. So we have new access, new identity, new intimacy with the Spirit. All because of Jesus. Let's pray, friends. Father God, we thank you for your love towards us, that you loved us so much that even when we were still far off, you opened the gates of glory. That you poured your love into this world. That you continue to draw people to yourself. Father, wherever we are on that journey of faith, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would fill us with new life and new joy as we discover more of your amazing love towards us. Father, I pray for our attitudes, that we would indeed lift our hearts and our minds to you. That we would begin to see the world through your eyes. Give us that new perspective, we pray. Father, do your work in us, we ask. Amen.